When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Increment Vice. The podcast that explores Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, one scene at a time, with your host, Travis Woods. A peace sign that transforms into a middle finger. It's Doc's signature gesture and a sign of the times. A symbol of hope and love that curdles into anger and entropy. And if that doesn't sum up so much of inherent vice and what it's about, hell, what so much of today is about, well... After 41 episodes of doing this, I'm not quite sure what does. While 2020 has been a year with absolutely no shortage of horrors, featuring as it does as many gut punch plot twists as Inherent Vice has celebrity cameos, it's also given us a saving grace or two. And a major one for me, and and I'm going to assume anyone out there listening to a podcast of this sort, has been the filming of a new Paul Thomas Anderson film, provisionally titled Soggy Bottom. And if you're following the news on the filming of Soggy Bottom, chances are you're checking on the regular the insanely comprehensive website, Cigarettes and Red Vines, the definitive P.T. Anderson resource since 1998. Beginning as a fan site before eventually establishing a connection to the man himself, It is a comprehensive compendium of news breaks, details, trivia, long-form PTA interviews, scripts, etc., 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 everything. Essentially, it is a steel trap lattice that catches any and all PTA news when there is any. And there is no better resource for PTA movie news on the internet. And it makes me think a little bit of a sequence from the novel in Hair Vice in which Doc gets lost in ARPANET an early version of the internet, and he uses it at first to try to find about find out about all things Golden Fang and Shasta Fay, and then eventually just uses it hoping he'll find a place to score some weed. And joining me tonight is the website's co-founder, an award-winning filmmaker in his own right, the man who has been with cigarettes and red vines for 20 years, Mr. C.J. Wallace, thanks for coming on today. Hello, sir. How are you doing? <laughs> You're already giggling. You're already giggling. Yeah, I like the, the, what was that? The catch lattice? What was it? That was amazing. Oh, bless off. Well, listen to you. I screwed it up, but you said it. You am- you, whatever you, that you, was, that was poetry. You, you, you ruined my poetry. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, it, the site's like a steel trap lattice. I mean. Thank you. If you <laughs> But if you are a PTA nerd like I am, and I would have to assume you are 
when you know you get excited when these movies start gearing up into production and you know and it's 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 a great feeling and again this is this is almost dsm5 quality level psychosis here but like it's comforting to know there's a place on the internet where i can go and find out every little bit of information that is available on this movie that i won't see for like another year and a half it's exciting i like it and so i'm i have to say thank you for that and before we get into Vice, before we get in, we have some things to talk about you and I regarding Inherent Vice and, and your feelings about it. And I hear you giggling. I hear you giggling again. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to attribute that to the weed and not the fact that you're laughing at Inherent Vice. But It's on brand for the, for the podcast, <laughs> I figure. Before we start talking about, about Vice, talk to me about how cigarettes and red vines came together. Uh, well, I was working at a place in Canada called Future Shop, which is basically like your guys' Best Buy, except we were on commission. Um, so nobody was, no one was in the shop and uh, the internet, you know, they had a bunch of computers. So I randomly typed in uh, ptanderson.com and uh, this site came up that was kind of crazy looking. Um, it had some very primitive graphics and stuff like that. So I, uh, I just sent an email to the guy and said, I, I do graphic works and, and please let me help you with this um, because this website needs a, a little, this Paul deserves uh, a little bit of help because he, was, he wasn't a graphic, I'm not even making fun of him. He's just, he wasn't a graphics guy and he was just making a news resource. It wasn't anything about the cosmetics. It was just getting the information. Um, and I, I'm obviously, I, I think more cosmetically. So immediately I, I just wanted to put a spit shine on it. And um and uh, he was from Seattle, and I, I was in Vancouver, Canada, so that's very close. And uh, um, uh, the the Brock and uh, the the Dirk and uh, oh, I screwed up the names. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> There's our first edit point. <laughs> the chest no. and Brock is what I was trying to say. <laughs> the chest and Brock. Hmm. Well, so this was like what this was leading up into the production of, or this was during the production of Magnolia, yeah. Right. Yeah. The, and uh, so the, the trailer, the, the the teaser trailer, just dropped with the you know the frog and the flower and yeah, the one that, uh, that cut. yeah, I think that was I think that was the height of my uh, the informative years. Like those two trailers, like I I'd watched them, you know, like uh, it was every every single thing that came out was my obsession. That was that was a very important film for me at the time. So this is before that's even come out. So was was Boogie Nights your jam? Was that what got you obsessed? Yeah, uh, it, and it was the line uh, Bill Macy's. Uh, she has a ass in her cock in the driveway. <laughs> My wife that has line, an ass in her cock I'm, in the driveway. Yeah, and it's like I mean, all the shots and everything was uh, amazing, obviously. But just like at that point, when someone writes a line like that, and whether you know Bill flubbed it or or however it went just i don't know it's just that uh, that's the world i want to live in that's the movies and, that i want to make and i want to see and and i want to go on podcasts about you know i have to thank you already we're only a few minutes into this for your bracing honesty in that the the portal that pulled you into the universe of paul thomas anderson you could have said it was you know the the, the broken machismo of, of sydney it was the feelings of um uh, familial family family and grace and familial grace in boogie nights but no for you it was the line my wife has a goddamn ass in her cock in the driveway and that's and just that's ricky jane you, 
That's what one you as Ricky Jay's dead permafrost yeah. stare looks Bill Macy in the eyes yeah. without a worry. I mean, it's just the photography of the film we're talking about. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> no, I mean, you got shit to do. It's okay. You know. Oh, God. Oh, so good. I can already tell this, this episode's oh. basically going to be me and you just running lines from Boogie Nights back and forth to each other. Buckle up, everybody. Cause it's I'm in my comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to it. I'm, we're, we're, yeah. I'm, I, I feel I should come out, for, uh, out uh, <laughs> off top and say that I, I know the least about uh, the movie we're discussing today. Um, so oh, we'll boy. You're going, we're not going there yet. We're not, but you and I, are, we are having a bit of a, a Doc and Bigfoot thing right now in which... Um, uh, you're, you're, you're getting a little high. Um, I've had a few to drink. And so we're both representing two of the main characters in the film. And I guess we're, yeah, we're, we're, we've already lost track of the podcast and we're just going to start doing Boogie Nights lines back together or back and forth with well, each other. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of absolutely. Boogie Nights. So you're, 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 you're a PTA nerd back in the day. And so you, you find this website, you offer to do uh, the graphics work for it. How do you go, though, from this very kind of basic proto-movie news website to something that falls on PTA's radar? Uh, he actually just started calling uh, the guy I did it with, Greg Mariotti, uh, did the website with. Um, uh, he would just call, Greg called me one day and was like, man, PTA just called me. <laughs> he just called him up one night for an hour and a half and just like, hey, man, it's PTA. And Greg was like, can I call it? <laughs> or can, can I record it? And he had this little primitive tape thing and, and he played it for me. And it was, you know, I, I don't know. That's, that would not be my first instinct when someone like that would call it to be immediately but you know he he's a he's a web he was a news guy so like that was his thing, so uh, every once in a while uh, he would just call and and I'd go hang out with him and he'd have this tape of like the latest call, and uh, Greg was just very it was his whole life in, in that beginning to just keep putting the news up and and he was just really on it and and any small development that happened you know the the Italian boogie nights uh, region six is out now and it's got uh, oh, you know the, the fourth trail you know he like. You know, he knew all, everything about all that stuff, you know, what was going on. And, um, and, and that's, that's just really, you know, Greg just did such a thorough job. And, and I mean, my graphics at the time weren't amazing, but we sort of had this color-coded system for each film. And uh, I don't know, it, it was early internet. So, it, it, you know, internet cool news doesn't look that great, but it was early internet and it kind of took off. So we were the first sort of Paul thing. And, uh, you know, so... Well, at this point, uh, I guess he wanted to make sure, you know, that we weren't going to post any crazy stuff or uh, <laughs> he figured it was better to just play along. <laughs> I guess. And, you know, the devil, you know, is better than one you don't. Uh, but at this point, you guys are essentially, I mean, Cigarettes and Red Vines is essentially the official Paul Thomas Anderson website for, for maybe, maybe not in name, but I mean, he, you guys get scoops directly from him at this point. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the last probably two, three, two movies we really haven't um the more that the internet annoys him and and uh -huh. privacy and and on and on and on um there was a picture of him and maya that came out where they were looking they were just kind of going to the store and just wearing whatever and, and they were making crazy faces i think he just kind of had enough of the internet um and uh so you know a lot of the scoops that were coming were just coming from deadline and, and people that were just sort of eyewitnessing things or, or having anonymous sources so they just kind of shut it down and you know if 
a press thing would happen, they would put us in touch with, you know, whatever studio was putting it out and we'd work with marketing. Um, but yeah, for the first at least 18 years or, or however long, um, uh, his assistant Aaron Titchener or Albert Chi now um, uh, would uh, send us emails filled with wonderful things that were, <laughs> when you're an up and coming filmmaker to, to get to live vicariously through another person's career who's also happens to be one of your heroes and, and, and you're getting these scoops and, and breaking it to the world. It was, it was definitely the fuel that you would want uh, when, when you're trying to do that for a living. And you, you've hung out or you had some interactions with him, right? Like you, you've got a couple of funny stories in the canon by you and GTA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we can do, uh, yeah. Um, I haven't told any of these ones, but I guess we can, uh, I'll tell you, I got two that I think would work and if you can cut out whichever ones. Uh, the first one, uh, it was at the There Will Be, uh, there Will Be Blood premiere. Uh, he brought us um, out to San Francisco. Uh, he was playing, I can't remember the name of the theater, but it's got this beautiful old pump organ and this guy comes out of the floor and plays this old timey John Bryan music for, you know, 45 minutes and it's beautiful and the sound is incredible and it's, it's just a wonderful theater. So he, he had, uh, he invited me out to, uh, to that screening. Um, and uh, I had no money at the time really. And uh, so I went out there and uh, I had to go back the next day. And so Albert Chi finally found me and he goes, hey, there you are. Hey, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, oh no. Of course. And I'm like, uh, I'm, you know, hanging around San Francisco, which I absolutely was not. And he's like, okay, cool. Paul wants to go for breakfast tomorrow. And I was like, oh, Jesus. All right. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. And so now I have to figure this out. Uh, I had no <laughs> hotel room. So I'm driving around San Francisco before, you know, there's no phones to, or I didn't have one that, you know, was connected to the internet the same way things were now. Uh, so I was just lost and going to hotels and trying to find things and, and couldn't find anything. So you do the, the, the sleep in your car. Uh, oh so anyways, I, I get the text of, of where this, this diner is uh, and I get directions to go there. And, and I've never really been very directionally sound. Same. Uh, so he says, all right, we're here. Uh, you know, it's, it should be like 15 minutes from where you are. So I say, fine. I text him. And so I'm driving. Uh, and I'm going and it's taking a little bit. So I keep texting back and forth. I'm like, all right, uh, 10 minutes and I'll be there. And I'm going over the Golden Gate Bridge. And I realize at some point, some type of way that I'm heading the wrong way. Oh, and God. I pull over to a gas station and I'm 30 minutes. I've driven the opposite direction from where they're going. And I've just recently texted, oh yeah, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. So anyways, I finally get myself around and, and by some miracle, I find I, 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 I'm getting close. So I write to him, I'm just trying, I'm so sorry, I've been trying to find parking. And of course, when I get to the restaurant, it's this, it's this pier side restaurant that has 4,000 parking spots that, that, any, that any person could easily uh, use. So, so this has been at least 45 minutes and I walk into, it's a very Jeez big restaurant, Christ. just sort of open air. And I walk in all of a sudden I hear you fucking asshole. <laughs> and then it was a big hug and everything was fine. Um, but I, I, I left him there for an hour and he was he, as the testament to Paul and everything he's ever done uh, as generous. He's, he stayed there and they had to fly to go do the, the um, like the DVD and Blu-ray transfer. And, and Albert kept like hitting him like, Paul, we gotta go. And he's like, eh. And he, we sat there and, and had Irish coffees at 10 in the morning. And, and 
you know, you have breakfast with your hero and it was amazing. But uh, I like self-deprecating stories because when you're coming up doing this, you don't necessarily hear any of those. So I like to let people know the, some of the horrible things as well. I um, hate you so much right now. My heart is so full <laughs> of black, black envy as I hear this story. I, you know, secretly I was kind of hoping you wouldn't make it or he'd be gone by the time you got there. So I wouldn't have to be sick with jealousy right now. Yeah. But no, of course, there's the one time and I never like anytime I meet any of these people or hang out with them, I do the exact opposite. And this is advice for anybody. You do the exact opposite of what you think you want to do because everybody does that. Like I had short films. I could have given them all over the time and I never did because everybody does that. I just never talked movies. I just talked about whatever to them. But this one time I finally made a movie that was like, you know, my cigarettes and coffee. I was like, this, uh, this, this is the time. And of course I was an hour late as well. So I walked in with this DVD kind of behind my back, like I had a weapon. So anyways, I had it on my lap the whole time and I handed it to him. I'm like, I know, I know you're not supposed to do this. He's like, no, 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 you're different. It's cool. I'll watch this. And then eight months later, he sent me this quote email about the, the short and He's like, you can use it, just, you know, it's, ah, here. And it, it, it I don't <laughs> want to say very, I, it I got me, very, but like, like. You're a very <laughs> flop sweaty impression of him. as like, oh, you can use it. Uh, okay, take it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> my, one of my favorite things, it's the Magnolia behind the scenes documentary. Me and my best friend have it memorized. Uh, and we would do like in jokes from it, like very minutia stuff. And so I think part of the impression is, is you know, him going like, I promise I will have it done by Tuesday. And then we have the close-ups of Richard, Stanley, and Julia, da-da-da-da. And, you know, he's just doing that. That's, I think, I'm trapped in Magnolia Paul energy. Oh, my God. Um, But he gave me this wonderful quote about it that, that, like, got me to William Moore. It just, like, it opened up thousands of doors. It was the most amazing thing. Um, So that one is, so I have one more uh, where I was an ass and it'll be quicker than that one. Oh, give Uh, it to me because I'm seething with anger now. Okay. (laughs) Uh, This one, I was at the same job. Uh, And again, Vancouver to Seattle is at least a three hour drive. Never mind if there's traffic at the border or whatever. So at uh, what, four o'clock, I think I get a call from Greg. He's like, Paul's in town and and Sandler's here. They're going to do a punch drunk, a private screening at at this theater. You got to get down here. So I was like, oh God. So I just left my job, which is not something you can do. um, (laughs) And got in the car and drove down. And of course there was a lineup at the border. So that took 30 minutes. And anyways, I get down and I was very hyper child. So I was like sweating and crazy and just like panicking that, you know, so anyways, I get there about 30 minutes late and there's no one outside. All the lights are down. So I start pounding on the window because I'm a maniac. Oh my God. Uh, and a couple of people come up very, you know, dressed very beautifully. Uh, and they're like, hello, maniac. And I said, hi there. I said, I'm here for the screening. And they said, that's cool. Everyone's in there and it's happening. And I said, I, and then, you know, you're in panic mode because I've driven three hours. I'm, I'm not going home. So, uh, so I'm just like, you know, you start saying anything and I'm like, Paul is expecting me. So, <laughs> and so they, this theater is owned by Paul Allen, the billionaire. So they think that I'm a friend of Paul Allen's oh and they have no idea who Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson is and even what's going on. They just hear like weird, you know, three, four time music coming from, from the theater. <laughs> um, so eventually they let me in and uh, like I opened 
you know, there's a lower area and, and then a balcony. It's a very beautiful theater. So I open the floor level balcony and of course that's like bang. And you know, 10,000 people look at me. So I quickly duck out because I'm not gonna take the hit for that. So I walk up to the back entrance and, uh, and I kind of I open it, I open it very quietly this time. And I sort of sneak in and I'm watching it and it's, you know, the credits have, you know, the little punch drunk love thing hasn't happened yet, which means I got there in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, and then so eventually, uh, I think it was a scene where Lena shows up and it's finally like really, really bright. And all I see is a sold out theater, my uh, co-website guy, Greg Mariotti, Paul Thomas Anderson, an empty seat, Adam Sandler. <laughs> Oh my. So I was too terrified because I thought, I don't, I don't know. It was like, I don't want to go down. And, and oh, CJ, like they were in the dead on. center. I know, but it was, it was 40 people wide, the rows, and they were in seat like 17, 18, 19, 20. Oh, so like I would have had to go, excuse me, excuse me. And like just, it would have been like doing the wave at, at, the, at a hockey game. It just would have been this whole sea of. So I stood in the back the entire movie, like, like, uh, like aforementioned Maniac. Uh, they didn't really do a Q&A, but I, you know, then the lights came up and I ran down and a bunch of people swarmed Paul. So I went and stood by Greg and he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I just stood in the back. And then Paul, everyone kind of went away and Paul was like, hey. And then Sandler walks up and I'm sitting in the seat kind of like defeated and he's sort of towering over me. And he kind of looks down and he went, oh, you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> But it was in very, like, you know, like Billy Madison, but with a goatee and like a wrinkled polo. It was just like, ah, you fucked up. It oh, was, that's so perfect. It was the funniest thing ever, but also just like, you know, he's like, so anyways, uh, okay. those are two of, of several that I have. But I mean, I think those might have been too long. But uh, Oh, God, God, this is a podcast so about hair and vice. We have, we've, this, well, this is nothing. We're still in the pregame <laughs> here. <laughs> oh yeah, I will. I, I will be honest though. I feel a little bit better after that very embarrassing story. I feel I, I'm a little less angry, a little less yeah. angry, but I'm a little less jealous. So I'm calming down now. I'm calming down. Yeah. Remembering why I had you on. I'm remembering the punch drunk love. I love premiere. Radiohead showed up <laughs> randomly. They were recording "Hail to the Thief." Oh, God. and I, I have a I have a Radiohead collection that that is unmatched. Up until in Rainbows, I there's not a thing that exists for Radiohead that I that I don't have in my mom's, uh, you know, attic somewhere. Um, and all of a sudden they walked in and like Philip Baker Hall was just leaning over a buffet table and just like eating everything. It was just, uh, there's lots of wonderful stories, but, How dare but I you? think those other ones are more, are more uh, appropriate. <laughs> How dare you? You just described like my personal heaven, hanging out with PTA. You got uh, Philip Baker Hall, uh, uh, over at the uh, the deli counter, you've got Radiohead strolling in. How dare you? We were doing so I well. We, we were doing so well. I was calming down. I was relaxing. I was remembering how much I love cigarettes and red vines. I'm jealous. <laughs> there again. was a horrible moment where I I couldn't help not going up to Tom York, and I interrupted him and Nigel Godrich, and I was like, Oh, I really love that song, Punch Up at a Wedding. Oh Jesus! And I didn't realize that they were still recording. Uh, Hail to the Thief. So like there was this early release of their stuff. Oh, <laughs> and so I went up to another hero and he like blinked one eye at me and he was like, what? And I was like, oh God. So anyways, this was how I handled things in 2001. I, I definitely developed a lot more tact by uh, being in the war zone <laughs> and making uh, egregious errors. Oh my um, God, blinked one so eye. So I have nothing that can top that because I don't know enough of funny things about inherent vice to uh, make up for that. But 
Oh my um, God. Oh, that's wow. That's a bit of cigarettes and red vines lore that, that hasn't <laughs> been around. Cigarettes and red vines lore. <laughs> oh God. Well, it is, I will say again, uh, cigarettes and red vines. It's, a, it's such an incredible resource, the site. If you are a PTA nerd, and obviously I am. I mean, I remember uh, when Vice was coming together in pre-production and the insane accretion of casting news updates that would be posted. You know, everyone from Brolin, Phoenix, Short, Witherspoon, Del Toro, all the way down to people like Jeannie Berlin. And Jesus, I, I was like Zuckerberg at the end of the social network, just endlessly refreshing, hoping for more and more news from you guys. Yeah. And so, That's in a way... A, I need to... Oh, okay. I was just going to say, that's Brian. There's a guy uh, named Brian Tapp who's been running the site with me, um, where if I get any news, I, I send it to him, and he's been doing uh, – he's the guy that, that posts the, the stuff for the last probably uh, three or four years, so I definitely want to make sure that uh, – Well, I have to thank you. I have to thank you both, Brian and CJ, for, I mean, essentially creating my, my psychosis for this film <laughs> because I was so beside myself, excited for it before it even came out just because I was like – my God, PTA is making a neo noir. I'm so excited, so excited. Which I suppose it's time to do this, CJ. It's time to do it. It's time to do this. Yeah. I hope you're ready. I yeah. suppose this leads us to the subject of a little movie called Inherent Vice. Yes. Now I can hear you smiling. I hear you smiling right now. <laughs> when you and I started talking about this project back last summer, uh, you said it was the PTA film you'd had the hardest time with in terms of a movie winning you over, a movie of his winning you over. So I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody, and I'm really curious about your answer, especially how you do have both kind of a personal and professional connection to the man. How did you feel the first time you saw Inherent Vice? Uh, well, see, that's the problem is I was at the time on, uh, on a tour bus. Um, so, uh, when you're in the hip hop world, when you're on a tour, they, you film all day long and then the show goes till two in the morning and then they want the documentary edited by nine in the morning the next day and up on YouTube. So it's, it's like 60 days of that. Um, so I, I finally had Wi-Fi long enough to, uh, to get the movie and so it was like three in the morning and I was so excited to watch it and obviously it's <laughs> it, it's it's uh it's uh it's difficult to it's not immediately inviting at three in the morning when you're very tired um I don't know I think, isn't it isn't, isn't that maybe yeah. the best time in a way like I thought it was I really thought it was down, your dukes are down you're you're, you're ready to just let something in yeah, I really, I really thought it was, but um, for just for, for whatever reason, uh, I mean, maybe I really like that documentary uh, indie game, and so like Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix reminded me of uh, Phil Fish a little bit, if you know that movie. Um, so like right away, I was like, oh, it's Phil Fish. Like I just had this little in joke for myself. I was like ready to, I was ready to enjoy it, and and just for whatever reason, I don't, man, I don't know, because. Like there will be blood. It, it, it didn't. It, like it definitely won me over. But I knew that there was stuff I had to investigate, 
mm-hmm. again. And, and the master was definitely that way. Paul ran right up to me after, at a screening and he's like, what did you think? And I was just like, oh my God, I have no idea. And <laughs> like, I was just like, it, I had every emotion. I, I don't know. As, and he just kind of looked at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's like, what do you, what do you like? He, he runs right up to you instantly after. What do you think? So it's just like all of his last movies since punch drunk it's like they you know they they sit with like inherent vice this coming on the podcast i rewatched it last night and i just like it's like this morning i was like man i think i gotta watch it again before i before i do this because i don't think that i know what the hell i'm talking about and i probably don't but uh here we go (laughs) i do love that every single one of your pta stories is is somehow connected to a private shame of some sort like yeah, <laughs> what do you think? I'm of the Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I'm Canadian. I'm so, I'm I'm, and raised by a Catholic, lapsed Catholic oh, mom. Wow. So I, I okay. initially have this like uh, shame that I have to work over. <laughs> so I mean, well, you're obviously someone. I, I mean, you 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 love PTA's work. I mean, you dedicated a big chunk of your of the past twenty years to to kind of informing the war, helping to inform the world about his work. So you're obviously kind of open to what he does, to his aesthetics, to, to, to the way he tells a story. What do you think it is about this one that just didn't speak to you? Because I think that's a subject that, that I'm really interested in. I mean, obviously I'm interested in inherent vice, like what I'm doing with my time, my God. But, you know, we, 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 you and I were talking about this off air and we were talking about how, you know, a big part of inherent vice's story is about how so many people just did not like this film. And that, that includes obviously people who love PTA and who in general love his work. And I'm curious for you, what is your reasoning for, or not, not just for yourself, but like when you talk about inherent vice and when you're thinking about inherent vice, the, the times that you might actually be doing so, why do you think it doesn't speak to people the way the master, a film which is equally oblique and difficult, why it, it, connects with audiences on, or with film fans in a way that Inherit Vice just seems to leave them cold? Man, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> why, thank you. Yeah. Or for, for you personally, why well, do, do you know why it just left you feeling like, eh, I don't know. I mean, going into it, for whatever reason, growing up, and I've since learned to appreciate a lot of these people in a different way, but for whatever reason, growing up, I had a very strong distrust for actors or comedians or performers that never turned it off. So like kind of like Mike Myers and uh, Jim Carrey early on to a point, like you just like, like I, I like podcasts of comedians cause I, I don't care about their act. I kind of like them riffing more. Um, so, okay. So, uh, so Mike Myers and uh, and Martin Short, I was ne- I just for whatever reason I just never quite got it. So there was just like a few people in the trailer had the Panacaco thing, for just for whatever reason, I just didn't. I, maybe it was like the desaturation or the hand handheld or the mutton chops or the Birkenstocks. I have no idea. I just for whatever reason I just oh, felt like I was going to have to earn it. I know. I'm just hey. I, and see this I, and it, going on the record i already know that in in five years i'm gonna love this film and, and this <laughs> it will be a nightmare i'm fully aware of that it's the same thing I'm, I'm the biggest kubrick fan in the world and eyes wide shut took me a minute and now it's like if i was to put one on casually which is strange why would you put that on casually 
but it's just I, I'm obsessed with that one right now, and it was the the one that gave me the most that of Barry Lyndon gave me the most resistance initially. Um, interesting. So I just I think I have something to discover here. So I'm I'm basically just going on the record with a bunch of pull quotes that I'll be uh, embarrassed of later. <laughs> Maybe you and I are just wired differently because I would also say that Eyes Wide Show is my favorite Kubrick film. I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, absolute favorite film. And yeah, so, no, I'm I'm on board. I'm definitely there. So when you finished watching Inherent Fries for the first time, were you just sitting there on a tour bus looking at a laptop going, wow, he lost it. He just lost it. He's made his first bad movie. No, I blame myself. I thought that I had, I, you know, I, I, I tour with celebrity weed rappers. Um, so I just thought that, that the night had gone on too long and I was just not in the right mindset for it. And I was lost a little isn't bit. Isn't this kind I, of a weed movie though? Yeah. Again, See, I, I, I say to you, isn't this the perfect, isn't that the perfect, perfect scenario to be watching this movie i thought i was i i thought i had the whole thing figured out <laughs> but uh but for whatever reason like i said i just i don't know i, I don't know it, it just they, things are meant to find you when they do um so like like this movie i hadn't watched it in forever and i just knew something would come up that would make me uh dig back in and it's just always sort of polluted the back of my head and, and just kind of think about it and I just knew at some point it would come back and, and it would be for some reason. And, uh, and, and here we are. Well, that's something. Had you, you, you graciously rewatched this for this show. Had you not seen <laughs> Inherent Vice since that first time up until now? Uh, I had tried a couple times during similar circumstances where I was just like, I'm tired and I'm like, okay, but I want to watch a movie. So I think, I got enough energy to get through this and figure it out. And then I would turn it off because I just, I, I needed to give oh, it a fair, a fair crack. You're breaking my no. heart. So the first time you've watched it start to finish since the, that first time, was that yesterday? Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm honest to a fault. I'm willing are, to take the you are, and you, you are being quite, and so I'm, you've seen it. You, you watched it last night. Yes, but in my defense, from the time this movie came out until very recently, I, I, I had like five years of, of movie making and I was kind of not watching anything whatsoever. Um, I, felt, I kind of felt like I was behind in my career and I kind of just went into a bubble. So I kind of missed everything. Um, so it's not Inherent Vice's fault specifically. <laughs> it, it was just like I went into like, this crazy bubble where I needed to you know, I'm, I made promises to myself as a young lad and I kind of felt that like I was getting behind. So, um, some of my movie enjoyment, uh, um, fell by the wayside. Well, I appreciate you making time. Well, now that you've seen it again, has your opinion improved at all? Has it changed at all? Or is it still just this weird smoky obelisk just st staring back at you and you have no idea what you're looking at? Well, see, this is the thing now. Everyone's gonna eye roll, but like the first couple, t the first few times, like the apparitions and all these things, like none of that was, and the narrator and all this, and like all of that was lost. Um, I wasn't a big Owen Wilson fan uh, for a while, for whatever reason. Um, I, I like Bottle Rocket and and many things, but for some reason, I just I don't know. <laughs> um, so, anyways, it just I was like, oh, he's in the Paul movie. This will be, you know, it'll it'll get me back in. Um, as I said, he was fine. I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could explain what it was. What, uh, like even Martin Short, like I, I said, he, he's sometimes he's a little too wacky for me. Oh, uh, in the past, I'm saying, no, I'm saying in the past, 
and I've come to appreciate him. And I kind of thought seeing the trailer with him, you know, walking out with the wiggle walk and doing all that, that it was just <laughs> going to be this like crazy improv circus that Paul was just, you know, sitting with his hands in his chin or with a chin in his hands, uh, you know, like just watching this, this legend go crazy on his set. Um, and he was just, it was very, it was great. It was wonderful. It, it's, it's, it was a, it was a whole bunch of wonderful surprises that I need to go back and, and stop. Like I, I was watching it, like, not like it was homework, but it was like, like it had something against me that I had to figure out. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah. it's just like at, at all times I was just trying to put, put the whole thing together. And, um, and it, yeah, it's all fine. I said, I, I, I feel like it's going to be this thing that I watch a couple times in the next month and, and, and get really hyped about and, 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 and dread that I did this interview right now. <laughs> well, what I feel like you're telling me is you still don't love it, but you still don't quite get, you still don't quite have your hands around it yet. Is that, is that what you're telling me, CJ? Is that what you're admitting? I feel like I know Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood oh so well that I could tell you any frame, any second, anything about it. And I don't know this movie that well. So I feel like I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm lacking. That's, that's the, probably more what it is. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how much that hurts my heart. I'm sorry. And, and, and what, what, what would Paul say? What would Paul say? He'd give you that look. You know, he'd give you that look. He'd give yeah. you that look. <laughs> he'd say, CJ, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. He just roll, he'd just roll his eyes and he would be fine. He would, uh, <laughs> he'd be fine. He, he like, would go sleep on his palm on his uh, con director awards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, do, I will say, I do think at this point, the man is probably used to people not caring about inherent vice all that much, unfortunately. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. I, I reinvestigating it and sort of, you know, getting the temperature on public opinion. I was surprised how many YouTube videos of people that were just blatant, like, I didn't get it, and like these hypercut. Oh wow, are that, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy oh, out there. That makes it's a, me wow, so it's, sad. It's a crazy world out there on YouTube. <laughs> it's a crazy world out there. Because <laughs> I, because oh, I, I do documentaries. So like, even like for this, like you know, I watched the movie, but then I wanted to see sort of what. Like I said, well, you know, what, what the crazy YouTubers were talking about and what, you know, like the serious guys that, that talk like this and Paul Thomas Anderson was, you know, like, and they cut together these <laughs> like fancy it'll things it'll and yeah, yeah, everything's, a, everything's shape, you know, all these alternate subtext theories and anyway. Well, well, we've done um, a lot of that on the show, but hopefully at least it's been kind of funny while we did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know where that was going. I think that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is. I'm trying to keep it like the like like the movie. We're just gonna go from segment to segment. <laughs> yeah. No well, segues. I, I I really feel like you are as politely uh, politely. Wow. Uh, well, cheers. <laughs> I thought that was gonna be a Canadian dig or something. <laughs> <laughs> as pol, I think you are as politely as possible trying to tell me that inherent vice is still at the bottom of your of your PTA list. What I absolutely. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh god damn you. How could you? But that's because I that, How could you come on How could you come on this show and say that to me? <laughs> to me, after everything we've been through you and I. 
I know. <laughs> Is the new Beverly open yet? Can we go to that and, and see something? Oh, wow. You really want to depress me now. Don't I know. You? Everything. I just, moved, I just got here and like I, I got to see Fargo in 35 and, and all these things. And then, it, and then it was taken from all of us. You poor bastard. Well, you know, yeah. I don't want to say you deserve it for feeling the way I know. you this movie. But maybe you do. Maybe you brought that on yourself. Maybe, well, yeah. I don't want to blame Phantom the entire- Thread took a couple times too. But I mean, that, that, I mean it's, you know. There's just something about there's something about those last four movies that they're just they have this sort of they're not distant and they're not cold but they're just they're not you know he's just going there's a there's a part A of Paul's uh, work and there's this part B that's just like that takes it's like Radiohead it's like you've got the bends and creep and and okay computer yeah. but then you got to have Amnesiac and Kid A and you got to figure those out they're not immediately you're not going to get every song immediately so but well, exactly. Um, and credit where it's due, I gotta give them, give the man credit every time we use this uh, phrase. Uh, and uh, and if you're out there playing in- increment vice bingo, this is your first uh, score for this episode. Uh, as as the critic Jason Bailey said, uh, when you look at PTA's oeuvre, his career, you've got the coke kid half, and you've got the weed dad half. And <laughs> uh, weed dad half, which begins with there will be blood and runs up to Phantom Thread, and I'm assuming is going to include whatever this new film is going to be called uh perhaps soggy bottom there there's there is just an assuredness to his filmmaking now it's not that his filmmaking wasn't assured from sydney to uh punch drunk but it was the the, the kind of nervous young man's energy of needing to show you how smart and confident and assured he was whereas correct there's a different kind of confidence from there will there will be blood onward it's the confidence I think of an of an older man or of an older like, you know, he wasn't like he was in his sixties when he made There Will Be Blood, but of someone who's been doing this a while and has learned to trust his instincts in almost that that David Lynchy way of just not going to question what comes from your gut. You're just he's just going to accept it and run with it and trust that his instincts will lead him to the right film and right. to tell the story in a certain in a certain way. And I don't think he does it. I don't think he does it to be oblique. And I don't think he does it to be difficult because I think, I think in a weird way, he's one of our more, more kind of populist auteurs in that, you know, you know, he, he talks about how much he loves, you know, Sandler movies, like big daddy. He says like big daddy is one of his favorite movies. Um, all while he's making movies that quote things like the red shoes and Rebecca, but right. Um, you know, I think that with these last four, and that includes Inherent Vice, there is simply, you are seeing the work of a man in the second half of his life who has come to, he's come to trust himself. And he's, he's made enough of these things that he knows he, he, he knows how he's going to do things. And he has to, he has to, I think, stop trying as hard to be anything other than who he is. And as, as pretentious as that sounds, and I don't mean to no, no. sound and that's like what I was going to yeah. say. Oh, go ahead. This this might be it's sort of an example. I think of what you're saying. Uh, the Boogie Night script when you read it, you know, it's like the camera will crane down on exactly. a, yeah. this brand yeah. of dolly on a 75 millimeter lens. And when I was looking at the Vice script a minute ago, there was one bit near the bottom, and he said he wrote "cops and stuff run around the corner." <laughs> like what the oh, fuck? Like <laughs> cops and stuff. Cops, cops stuff and stuff run around I the mean, corner. No. There's, there's entire scenes in Inherent Vice 
the film that aren't in the script and you go to the script and there's like a one, like a little slug that'll just say, we'll put something in here. Like we'll figure right. like, I can't. Yeah. I, and of course, obviously I can't remember because you and I are indulging tonight and I've had a little bit to drink. Uh, but there, <laughs> there's literally, a, a, there are bits, important integral scenes in the film that in the script, Paul just wrote, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. Like he essentially put some version of we're going to work. We'll figure this out on the day. Like yeah. s- scene to be seen or, I, I, I need to double check and I'm, 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 what a horrible host I am for not knowing for sure. But there's literally a, a page, I think, where it just says, uh, seen to be written later. Yeah, I was going to say in Punch Drunk, there's a lot of TBDs. That was the yeah, first exactly, time where that exactly. showed up. Yeah, and I the think, Punch Drunk strip is crazy. <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, I think part of that comes in his early work, I think that came from being burned so badly on Sydney that, you know, Mike DeLuca from uh, um, New Line had this story about when, when PTA came to, you know, sign the contract to, to make Boogie Nights, he showed up with the script for Boogie Nights, you know, Bible thick, slapped it on the table. And he's like, before I sign this fucking script, we're going to go through this thing page by page by page. And I'm going to mm-hmm. read the entire script to you so that you know what you're signing a contract for so that you cannot change your minds later or tell me that we're going to remove something later. And he was a very, very, very self-conscious, self-aware filmmaker and just every single thing had to be as tight and exact to the page as is possible. And yes, I, I think I think in a way that Magnolia, I don't want to play armchair or podcast psychologist, but I do think Magnolia exhausted him in some kind of way, or Definitely. maybe it purged something from him. Maybe maybe he it was it was cathartic, cathartic or exhausting. Actually, those are two pretty pretty good descriptors of Magnolia in general. It's cathartic and exhausting. And maybe it was as, as cathartic and exhausting for him as it was for the rest of us. Because when, again, as you said, when you look at the, say, the script for, for Punch Drunk, there's a lot of just like, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. Um, mm-hmm. And especially when I think you have an actor like Sandler, who you know is going to improvise. Something around, about, around that point in his life, he just really began to let go and that's not to say that he's not a controlling filmmaker or de- or a demanding auteur because i think he is both and yet there is a there's just simply the real the relaxed confidence of someone who knows exactly what they're doing and trusts Absolutely. in his own instincts and that's what i think has given us these films which do not bend over backwards to make sure that we are caught up with them you know the master doesn't work overtime to make sure we get every little thing about it. It just trusts that we're going to see it enough or that we're smart enough that we're going to connect the right dots there. And I think that's the same for There Will Be Blood. And I obviously I think it's the same for Inherent Vice and for Phantom Thread. That said though, I do think, and maybe it has something to do with being the only truly direct adaptation in PTA's work. I know that I know There Will Be Blood comes from Upton Sinclair's Oil, but it's, it's a much looser, much, much, much looser adaptation that despite all his trust in himself, there is something about Inherent Vice that does seem to hold a wall up to so many people. Something about the way that he made this movie, something about the way that he constructed the story and about how the story unfolds and about how so much it's almost like a bit of sleight of hand where the movie seems to, presenting, seems to be presenting so many things to us as if they're going to be integral to the film only for the second half to go, oh no, forget about all that. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that really seems to lose people. And I'm, 
I'm so curious as to, you know, how he feels about that, you know, because he's, he's also a filmmaker that's talked about going back. And, you know, I always think about when he talks about Magnolia and people ask him, you know, what would you, what would you do if you could talk to the PTA that made Magnolia? He's like, well, I tell him to calm the fuck down and cut about 30 minutes out of that movie. Yep. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very curious what PTA now would say to the PTA from a little over half a decade ago that made Inherent Vice. And if, if he still feels as confident about the choices that he made then, or if right. he feels as confident about them now as he did then, because it is, it is as, as you said, it's apparently it's a hard movie for some of, some of you out there to love because clearly CJ, you, you you don't love it. You you don't. And I think you, maybe what on here, what might have been the thing too is I don't and I don't know who cut the trailer whether it was Paul's or oh uh, no he didn't that was the first it's the first trailer since Boogie Nights because he's he cut right. every trailer from Magnolia on this was yeah, the definitely. first time uh, that uh, he ceded that control to a a marketing house that, that was hired by Warner Brothers. And I know exactly what you're going to say, but go ahead. Yeah, pull the trigger it's, on it's it. just, I mean, it just seems very wacky. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> these little one, one word bursts and it's like, you know, it could be a Jennifer Aniston could pop up in one second and be like, oh, <laughs> oh you know, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's cut like <laughs> this, this like, it's not what the movie is. It's definitely not. So I think, you know, people get this big Lebowski thing in their head and they, they ignored all the other references because they might not have known what those were. And they just heard this big Lebowski and they see the smoking and the big chops and he's falling off shooting people. Boy, you can't, let go. You, you can't let go of those mutton chops, can you? You keep bringing no. that up. <laughs> it was not my Phil Fish. That, that was, it was my way into it. <laughs> the fashion of the day, CJ. Come on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. Absolutely. It's, it's easy. It's a, I don't uh, know why that's young me, You're right. Neil Young had right. a problem with Hey, Neil Young's Canadian. No, he's Canadian. Was, I love Neil Young. Come on. He can't like Radiohead and not like Neil Young. One wouldn't happen without <laughs> the other. Tom is more Neil Young than he is uh, anything else, I think. Oh, or he used to be, I guess. Maybe. And hey, and, and, and Christ, this is an actual PTA film with a full-fledged Radiohead song in it. Right. Spooks. Or and you still right? don't care. And you just don't care. No, it's it cool. You can tell. Care. You can. <laughs> How many times have you said I, I've? Uh, you're breaking my heart on other podcasts. Do I have the record for that? Uh, yeah, I, you're pretty high up there right now, buddy. I gotta Yikes. be honest with you. Um, That's all right. Yeah, it could be the it could be the Japanese whiskey that I've had a little bit too much of. Uh, but no, I'm I'm feeling particularly vulnerable right now. And that's you, good. We're gonna make a classic episode one way or the other. <laughs> it's going to end with me in tears and you consoling me, telling me that you actually do kind of like the movie. You'll keep coming back to it. You'll keep trying. You're not going to give up. You're not going to leave me hanging like that. Um, It'll be like a Joe Rogan podcast. We're three hours oh, in. We're not Jesus even saying Christ. anything. And dude's head is just red and he's screaming about being oh, drunk. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, how about I'm his almost... new set? Let's just go sideways for two seconds. How about that new set? Kent, please, if anyone listens to this and knows those people, I will come for free. I will drive there. I will fix that lighting. Someone has to fix it. Young Jamie. No. no Anyways, no, don't don't you can help, cut that. Don't don't help that podcast. Don't don't help <laughs> no, that show at all. They don't they don't need it. Don't 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 give Lord. CJ. Don't I just see that. the thumbnails come up on YouTube, and he's just got like this Dana White bright red head from. And then I saw the set. It's like this weird. <laughs> it's got this like little. Anyways, I'm sorry. Um, you know, if you are out, if you're at, if you're at home right now and you're playing Increment Vice Bingo, we've already mentioned Coke Kid and Wee Dad. Now this is the part of the show where we go wildly afield from anything having to do with um, Inherent Vice. And apparently uh, today we have landed on Joe Rogan's 
big red Dana Whitish head, um, <laughs> which you know, as one does, as one does. Sure, why not? Why not? Yikes! Yeah, <sighs> I just did. Yikes. I did some work for the Bisbing documentary, so like I have to see these people. Maybe that's the one tomorrow where I call you about. You know, I, I get the feeling. Uh, I get the feeling someone's legal department is going to be calling me before this episode makes it. We'll up. be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Well, so we, you know, you and I, we've we've been through a lot in this the first half of this episode. We've had some some startling revelations about your relationship with PTA and how you've you've humiliated yourself before him, uh, which makes me feel a little bit better now because I'm so angry at the fact I was really hoping that you were going to come on today and you were going to admit to me, you know what? I know how I told you, because you and I, we started talking last summer about this, and I, I was really expecting you to come on and go, you know what, Travis, you know what, pal, uh, I went back, and I watched it here at Vice, because you suggest, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to do, do your show, so I went back, and I rewatched it, and you know what, you know what, that movie holds up. My old pal, PTA, he knew what he was doing, and what he a- He did know what he was doing. It's my fault. I, what a startling tale of love and regret and melancholy and absolutely. change in time. And you know what? With a little bit of time, I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and now I see it for what it is, which is the true, it's the, uh, it's the Rosetta Stone to his entire filmography. And my God, if it isn't a work of genius. But instead, it's here you Ros- are. It's his Rosetta Stoned. Oh, God. Oh, wow. A pun. Well, what the hell? There's nowhere to go from there. There's really nowhere to go from there. So we're going to watch today's scene. We're going to watch today's scene and we'll be right back to talk about it. Golden thing over at 12 o'clock. Fast approaching. Look sharp. Don't hippies have them. Yeah, I must meant to. Why is your mother handing me this? It's not for you. Oh. Yeah. You're supposed to tell him, well done, welcome back to the main herd, safe journeys. That's journeys plural. Well done, welcome back to the herd, safe journeys. Okay, I guess I can remember that. Mm. 
Nothing? As much as we talk about how Inherent Vice, the film, is so, so thoroughly a PTA version of Thomas Pinchon, there is indeed a great deal of Pinchon still himself marrow punched into the film and spiraled deep into its DNA. You know, maybe, maybe not always on the surface, aside from some twisty, turny plot kinks and some pretty alliteratively dense character names, but there are always references and in-jokes packed in visually, filling out the background of nearly every scene. And this one is no different, and it's maybe my absolute favorite, and that is the uh, layering of Sam Cooke's just perfect, wonderful world into the soundtrack. Uh, at first, it seems a little kind of a strange, kind of a strange song to be playing in a heroin handoff between Doc, Dennis, Jade, and this uh, this Golden Golden Fang family, and it's also you know kind of an egregious song pull when it's already been used to such great effect in films like the Breathless remake with Richard Gere, or you know pretty immortally in the cafeteria scene in Animal House when John Belushi's Bluto fills his tray in the cafeteria. That said, uh, there's a really sharp kind of cute, kind of super, super, super nerdy reason for using that song in this scene. And this is just a little bit of trivia for anybody out there taking notes. I absolutely love this. PTA defended using Wonderful World in this scene uh, for this very reason. He, he said in, a, in an interview, I got clues from the book about a wide array of music and then kept it exclusive to just 1970 hits it makes it feel a little more well-rounded in terms of the period. But truthfully, there's a kind of pinch-on nerd thing that I've done here with Wonderful World. Sam Cooke is referenced in Pinchon's novel Vineland. There is a character who is very similar to Doc in Vineland, and in moments of weakness, he throws on Sam Cooke. I think I remember that intuitively. Wonderful World was so skillfully used in Animal House that I had to wrestle whether or not to use it again because you can't beat how it's used in Animal House. But I thought the statute of limitations was up and that we could use it. But if you're going to use a song that good, you have to really feel like you've earned it because it could be really easily cheating to throw that song on. It's so contagious. Now, I don't think he's cheating. I think it's great. I think it's really touching. If you've, I don't think that you, CJ, have read Vineland because you hate Thomas Pinchon to your very, very soul and your core. You've admitted to me off air. You said, you've said, I hate him so much, almost as much as I hate Inherent Vice, the film. These are your words. Uh, uh, even though you hate Pinchon so, so much uh, in Vineland, um, which does feel like a very, very dense spiritual companion film to Inherent Vice, featuring as it does a very doc-like uh, character, a post-70s hippie burnout named Zoid Wheeler, who often listens to Sam Cooke in times of trouble. Uh, I, I love that PTA would so fully nerd out that he would do the Pinchon thing of making such an arcane pop cultural reference, this in, in this very Hall of Mirrors fashion, referencing Pinchon to reference Pinchon by working in a Pinchon reference from Vineland in his film via the song Wonderful World. But there's also something that's very PTA about that in that 
With all of the heavy lifting required in the first two hours of this film, there's something about the mood of this scene because of the inclusion of Wonderful World here. It feels like the audio equivalent of a gorgeous cool breeze across your face on a hot day. And that seems very PTA to me. That idea of, hey, you know, let's give the audience a break. Let them have a nice pop song amidst the weirdo kraut rock like can and the heartbreaking Neil Young stuff. Just kick back, roll the windows down, light a joint and relax with some Sam Cooke and your friends. Like that sounds like PTA to me. Uh, and I, and I, I as, as iconic as that song is, and I, I have seen some people critique its usage in this scene because this scene feels like such a minor moment to use it. I, I think the film earns it. I, I, I quite enjoy it. And now here's where you're gonna say something that just really breaks my heart about how much you hate the moment. Uh, no, I was actually gonna say, <laughs> I was, I was going to say that was actually oh, one of the times where I kind of did feel my shoulders come down and it did feel, I was going to oh, say, like a warm yeah. bath. I mean, I'm having fun with it, but I mean, I, it is my least favorite, but I mean, it's like, look at his work. It's like his least favorite of is still a better than everything ever. That song is such a warm bath that like, when you know, when he pulled in, it was just, it, it felt, like you said, it was very PTA-ish, but still... You know, the, like you said, this this is why I felt like I didn't know what the hell I was talking about because you <laughs> had like 15 layers of the onion there that that see it's just, I I I can't keep up with that. You um, knew what you were walking into. You can't pretend yeah. to be Joe Pesci. No, I know, fellas. You knew what you were walking into when you came into this room, <laughs> CJ. You knew it. You knew it, buddy. I absolutely did. But I, I had to I, face I, my fears. <laughs> but I love that you that you kind of confirmed that that it does. This, this does almost feel like a moment where he's like, okay, I know the movie's kind of hard. Everybody let your hair down. Let's play some Sam and hang out. Let's like relax. Let's have a funny little moment because we've just had so right. much heaviness come before. And we're going to have some kind of heavy emotional lifting in the scene to come with Coy being returned to his family and sort of he's musing about the nature of time and the American faith and Doc and Shasta and Bigfoot and, and their sorrows and this does just feel like, it's almost like turning the dial on the radio and you've been listening to some really heavy, sad music and all of a sudden you catch a Sam Cooke tune and you're just like, okay, you know, everything's gonna be all right. Everything's gonna be okay. And that's just- He smoked your joint right to the very end. Like, that's the one thing I noticed. He like, he couldn't even hold it anymore. He had smoked it so far down. And, and, and you're just like, you know what? Sam's on the radio, we're gonna be okay. Gang, we're gonna be all right. And there's something about this scene yeah. that just feels very, and again, I think it's purely Sam Cooke. It's just, it's because the Wonderful World is just one of the greatest, greatest soul pop songs of all time. And it just relaxes you. You can't help but smile when that comes on. And I think that that's, you know, I don't think it's manipulative. I think it's just the mark of a director knowing exactly what tone he needs to hit right off the bat with a scene like this that kind of has to act as a bit of a, a bit of a palate cleanser coming after the heaviness of, the scenes with Doc and Adrian and Puck and Crocker Fenway. This very much is like, hey, hey, we're still. It's still okay to laugh. It's still okay to hang out. It's still okay to have a good time. And it, it just feels very yeah. vice appropriate to me. And it sort of it sort of reminded me in a in a way of the Lonely Blue Boy bit from, uh, but like a way less threatening version of like Sandler and Hoffman <laughs> coming together. Like it was kind of that like a wider version of that, like the comedy head to toe thing. It just sort of felt like that, you know. And they got the lonely blue boy going and it's kind of taking the edge off and it's like you're kind of humming to it and they're just being ridiculous. It kind of felt a little bit like a nod to that to me that that scene felt 
you know, CJ, you are a dangerous guest to have on because between that and then throwing out those Boogie Nights quotes, all you're getting me, all you're making me want to do is talk about other PTA movies than the one at hand. Because now I just want to talk about uh, Punch Drunk. <laughs> We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I'm going to stay on track. You're not going to pull me away. I really like, I really like when he gets out of the car and he's just mumbling to himself the entire. That was like that was my favorite part of the scene. <laughs> uh, he's just uh, get the ticket. He's like closing the door and he's just doing this under his breath mumble core stuff. <laughs> Uh, I love that this is what you this is what you've locked onto here is the fact that Doc's a little absent minded. Well, yeah, I have. And the other thing that in in the script, Paul wrote that that the description of the young daughter had a future of drug use. Drug use. Future she of looked drug like use she ever. had a future of drug use. And which is I just thought that was <laughs> which is right from the book. That's that's like that's direct from the book. Um, Boy, she's so mean. She's so mean. We're gonna get to her. Though. <laughs> I, I have one more say. One more thing to say before we talk about the family, and that is, uh, from the moment that I saw Inherent Vice for the first time, this scene really struck me visually, because there's a very Altman-esque, washed-out feel to the sequence here, in which the color seemed to have been bled and leached from the imagery a bit. Uh, especially uh, in the angle in which we see Doc standing between the mother and the daughter. I have and, a note written exactly right here. I said it, yeah. I, I wrote that it looked like he had a haze on him, like he was almost not in a cloud of smoke, but he just had. <laughs> it was like a you know like a very harsh vignette sort of with a. Yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's in that scene where he's you know he's asking that great line. So you know you've been in the Golden Fang long, or been working for the Golden Fang long, and uh, it reminded me of uh, a quote from an interview with PTA when he was talking about the, the film stock that he used for Inherent Vice. And he said that, um, you know, in kind of conceptualizing the film, I had a kind of faded postcard idea for this movie. And then I got lucky because I had all this film stock in my garage from back when I made Magnolia in 1999. That's back when you, CJ, were, were, checking, uh, were checking websites on your Canadian Best Buy. Right, computer wow. and, and and finding a little place called cigarettes and red vines. And anyway, PTA no, it was called cigarettes and coffee back then. Oh, just to, that's just right. To be clear. That's right. I changed it to cigarettes and red vines because people, uh, Paul likes red vine, and people thought that Amy Mann song was about yeah, him at the yeah. time. So I'm not sure why I thought that that would be a good idea to name the site it's, after it's some sort of catchy. song that kind of yeah, but it kind that song kind of like doesn't paint him to be the greatest <laughs> and most in control necessarily. And I'm like, hey, that would be a good thing for the site i just didn't want to get rid of the cigarettes and something it was so when i took it over myself i thought that would be a, a you know a, a, you know some type of in joke but maybe it wasn't the best in, well he in doesn't seem to mind he likes you yeah he's fine so <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's fine so yeah. uh, he, he as as pta was saying he found this 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 degraded film stock in his uh, his garage and he said it was heat damaged and faded and we started shooting tests with that and it looked great the blacks were sort of milky and everything looked instantly of the era without being pastiche. It ended up that we could use that stock for only a couple of shots because it was always a gamble shooting with it. You could just fuck it up and not get anything at all. But the mission came to be to try to recreate that look using different lenses on modern film stock, playing with the way we timed it, the way we printed it. That was the key. And, you know, CJ, you got to forgive me. If, if you're a guy who, who does what I do, and that is to talk about 
inherent vice for hours upon hours and hours and think about just about nothing but you start to think about these things like well, what 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 scene in the film uses that 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 degraded heat damaged faded film stock to create that that faded postcard idea for the movie and my bet is that it is this scene here especially in this that moment that you were talking about talking about when it seems like doc is just haloed in fog and really i have nothing to add to the conversation other than that other than this is me throwing my dart at this scene to say that I believe that that Magnolia era film stock is being used here to create that very, very flashed out, long goodbye, Altman-esque, shot through cheesecloth look that really, really, really defines the aesthetic of this scene. And it really struck me from the first time I saw it before I even knew that PTA had used that technique. There's something about this scene visually that stands out from the rest of the film as just being just just of another time. It's like a post, a faded postcard you find in someone's drawer and just of another time. And I think it's quite, quite lovely because of that. Yeah, I just, uh, I, again, I had no idea about that film stock story. That's amazing. Um, yeah, well, that, you, I mean, that has to be what it is because like that, that, that two shot there, you know, when he's center frame, like it, it looks like somebody that, that took digital and tried to put a vignette on it and didn't know how to like overlay it quite right. So it has like the bright white spot in the middle. Exactly. And, and, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I mean, it almost, I mean, today you would do that, which is a fucking Instagram filter, but like in, in 2014, that's like, that's just, that's, that's pure Altman. And it's just, there's something so gorgeous and just the, the, the texturing of that, like it, it has an actual tactile uh, sensation and texture to it that I just, I absolutely adore. And, you know, there's really not much more to say about it other than that. But I, I, I just, I, I did have to know because I, I, I find that this scene is in its own weird way, in its own kind of, you know, I don't find, I don't think that really any scene in Inherent Vice is a throwaway scene, but I would say that this one is the one that is maybe like, it's the least connected really to any kind of major plot point. Like we could live without this moment if we had to if we absolutely had to. Right. And so I love the kind of perverse joy that, that someone like PTA would take in, well, this is the scene that we're going to use the special stock on. Like this, this wacky, random little goofball scene. This is what we're going to use that film stock on. And something about the perversity of that, I, I don't know, it just, it just tickles me. And I, love, I absolutely love how, how, how beautiful it is and how different from the rest of the film it is. Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm team film. I've never shot film, but I mean, I and I don't think, you know, uh, Paul and Quentin are obviously trying to keep this going. But there's there's something so important. And like you know, again, to bring up the new Beverly, it's just you know, you go see Fargo on 35 millimeter. There's there's something hypnotizing about the slight flicker and the texture and and just the scratches and the grain. That there's something about that that's really important. That that. Kid, the, the kids today, good lord. Kids today, oh boy. The kids today, you know. Good well, lord. We are. Uh, you know, we're, but, we're you gonna know, have to go on a brief. Say. We're gonna have to go on a brief tangent to talk about this because I. This is a subject of which I have some interest, and that is to say that I think you're a thousand percent right. And I that 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 thing that I was as I was trying to like grope and grasp my way through that sentence when I was saying that there's something about the tactile nature of this sequence, the texturing of it. You you just don't get that digitally and. There's something about film that just you can feel it, and it's it's you can get your hands around it. It's real, and I also think that there's something, as you said, when you, the the joy of going to the New Beverly is there's 
the brain seems to just ingest imagery at 24 frames per second differently. You know, when light is shooting through it onto a screen, than you do just watching something on television or projected digitally. And as someone who has seen this projected in film, it makes an incredible difference, especially since we're talking about it during this very scene. It's just, it's like your brain is just programmed to absorb that kind of information at 24 frames per second differently. And it has a different effect on you. And it makes the scene, which can be kind of light and silly and airy like it is, it makes it matter more because it is that much more aesthetically beautiful. And I think there really is something to be said for that. The film's burnt out and so is he at that point, kind of. It's like the, the film stock matches the... the <laughs> That's thing. a very good point and very dangerously close to another one of your puns, but I'm going to accept it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. Gonna, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, so here we are, Doc and Dennis and Jade and uh, the, the family Fang. And as you say, I, I, you know, I love the visual of how they kind of walk across either side of the, uh, of the, uh, of the screen to meet each other, like something right out of, uh, out of Punch Drunk Love. And I got to say, this a very aggressively milquetoast and blonde American family that looks like they stepped right off the set of The Master as one of the families getting their group portrait taken together from Freddie Quell in the mall. Mm-hmm. They maybe the most terrifying part of Inherent Vice is this family. At least in 2020, they become so much more terrifying to me. A you know they are a family that looks like the living, breathing, walking, talking GOP dream of what you know the nuclear family should look like. And as I said, seeing them walk across the screen right as Doc walks across screen left and meeting in the middle, it really lays out in a visually schematic way the two oppositional forces in American culture at the time. And the quietly tragic thing about all that, the very inherent vice thing about all that is that we know exactly how that collision of those two forces is gonna end. People like Doc are gonna fade like a postcard, like a flashed out faded piece of uh, film from PTA's garage. And these, (laughs) these, thank you, thank you. And these blonde fucks these blonde Hitler youth looking shitheads are going to continue to ascend into the Reagan eighties. And these, these are the literal and figurative alkalites of Crocker Fenway, who we've just seen, you know, with the, um, you know, both PTA and the script and Pinchon in the book note that the, for instance, that daughter, you know, looks like she has a future in drug use. Now we would call her, she's, she's going to be, she's going to grow up to be the first Karen. Right. (laughs) And there's something and I think that's so in keeping with the tone of the film too, is as I said, when we see these two forces face off and face one another in this scene, it's very, very funny. But the sad thing is we know exactly how this is going to end and it doesn't end well for everybody on Doc's half of the screen. And there's something, as I said, very vicey about that in that it, there's a melancholy underneath all of that to know that like Doc's going to lose to these people. Like he's going to lose. And I don't know, that's, it's sort of what Quentin played with a little bit with Hollywood too. He's, you know, the audience always knows how that story is going to go uh, with Sharon. And that that's kind of looming. That is that sort of what you mean too? Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. Is that, you know, there's the melancholy of knowing that after this deal is done, whatever happens to Doc after they meet in this, uh, 
Macy's parking lot, which uh, is located, was located in North Hollywood and was recently torn down to make way for a disgusting megalopolis of condos and a gigantic mall, which also seems very golden fangy. Um, of course, because of course, why not? Why not? Why not destroy right. it? Why not? Why not? <laughs> 2020, why not? Um, my only happiness is the fact that they did that right at the beginning of 2020, and now that disgusting uh, megalopolis cannot open. Right. Um, <laughs> so fuck them. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's the melancholy of knowing, though, that after this meeting, this family of assholes, they're going to be just fine. People like Doc are going to get broken uh, by this decade and kind of shuffle off into the pages of history in, in sadness and despair and become characters like we see in Pinchon's Vineland, these kind of these post-70s burnouts who couldn't, who couldn't, who really couldn't survive past 1970. And then you see this family that, you know, that that sneering girl with a future in drug use is probably also going to grow up and vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and because I mean, my God, do they not remind you of a Trump voter family? Right. Uh, you know, especially in how they've indoctrinated their children to hate uh, and that the kids are going to grow up to be even more horrible than the parents. And, right. you know, not to get super heavy when I was just saying, oh man, isn't this scene like a nice cool breeze with, with wonderful <laughs> world. It's so nice. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, like a, it's like a warm bath. And then of course I have to go, well, what about Donald Trump? And well, I'm uh, Canadian. So I can throw my hands up. <laughs> you can wash your hands of the whole thing. Um, but yeah, there, there's, I, I, so I can I'm, sympathize. That's all I can do. I can sympathize <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Please keep a spot on your couch open for me. Um, but there's just, yeah. <laughs> there's something about this scene. And I'm so glad that you, I'm, I really love that you called it back to that, a very similarly designed moment in Punch Drunk, where you have the two oppositional forces walking across the screen and facing off against each other. It's, but what's different about it here is, you know, you know, Doc has some really great lines where he kind of undercuts what they have to say and how, you know, been working for the Golden Fang long. But in the end, in the end, there's the melancholy of knowing that really, you know, this side is getting everything they want. They're getting their heroin back. And not only are they getting their heroin, heroin back, but they're going to win. The Golden Fang is going to win. We know what Doc doesn't. We know how the rest of the 70s go. We know where the 80s go. We know, you know, this is 1970. We know where things are going to end up by 2020 uh, when we have a golden idiot who's come out of his golden tower uh, to, to uh, wreak havoc upon the American fate. Uh, we know where things are going to go. And, and in watching this scene, you are watching kind of not just a, a literal handoff, but kind of a figurative handoff of, you know, Sorley's, I'm going I'm to use that phrase, that phrase again, the one that... Uh, when the Sorleys uses the American fate, this is kind of a handoff of the American fate from the, the hopeful hippies of the 60s uh, in the form of all of these packs of heroin. Uh, it's, he's kind of handing off the American fate to the people who are going to take charge of it from here on out. And that is families like this, these, 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 these fucking monsters. And yeah, they're just, that, that's, that's inherent vice through and through to me, to be able to have that great warm breeze wonderful world sam cook feeling and then look at these these evil assholes and go oh oh god this is where it goes after after this huh this is where it all ends up it's heavy it's heavy stuff that was so good i didn't want to interrupt it because i knew <laughs> I, you need to use that little two minute chunk 
and like send that to me and that's what I can send to Albert to try to, to if Paul, that's like the most eloquent uh, description of, of a minute of film ever. So God, I would kill to have anybody care that much and know, yeah, that was perfect. Well, my, I, my I only other note that I had that. was I like the awkward silence after work at the Golden <laughs> Fang. That was my last <laughs> note. So in comparison. Well, uh, I do. <laughs> well, I mean, I do. I do love that beat. That's such a wonderful, well-directed moment that they cannot. They can't even look him in the eye after he makes that smart ass. Yeah. I love that they can't even look at him like they are so. You know what? I, again, I hate to say it, CJ. I think they're a little bit like you. They're disgusted with the mutton chops. They're disgusted with yeah. the sandals. Yeah, you have this weird hang-up about that. And I and I do love that these these the two women, the first Karens, if you will, they are they are unable to even make eye contact with this man. And yeah, and, and the shame and, in his the look in his face is so good. Like that's my favorite stuff. Awkward, awkward beats like that are, are that's that's. Uh, I could watch a whole movie of that. Um, and then someone might say they're in all through this movie. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could I make a it. super cut though of like those moments where it's like Doc tries to be nice and then someone is mean to him and he seems very confused as to why. Like when, yeah. uh, like when Bigfoot calls him earlier in the film and then his wife is in the background and she grabs the phone. She's like, is this, is it, oh, Doc, Doc Sportello, Mr. Moral fucking turpitude himself. And he's just sitting on the other end going, you called me. I'm just, just <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. Me. You're right. See, this is the thing. The more, see, this is the thing. It was the same with the Irishman, too. It was like, yeah, all right. And then, like, the more I kind of just thought about there was like goofy lines that sort of became in jokes in with my friends and stuff. And then you just have all these little moments and it builds into your favorite movie. It's just like, <laughs> I'm going like to make that moment right movie. there. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're the one I'm going to change. Of all the guests that have come on the show, some of them have been a little lukewarm on this film. You're the one that I'm going to change. I've made it my yeah. mission now. Because I, well, like I, I feel like I can convince you. I feel like a bit like a cult leader right now. I feel like I can get Yeah, absolutely. I, can get I want you. to like it. I know that I'm wrong here. That's, that's the whole thing. Self-awareness is 90% of the thing. Well, like I said, like a cult leader, I am going to try and turn you on this. I am going to need your credit card information, though. Uh, also <laughs> like a cult leader. But, but trade off trade off as you're finally going to be able to appreciate this film and so the next time you get to hang out with paul thomas anderson and radiohead you're going to be able to nudge him with your elbow and go you know what buddy i like that movie now i get it now i think yeah. it's all right and he'll he'll probably there's one thing weep with tears or in the pre of appreciation that you finally like the hair advice paul sure likes to shoot joaquin phoenix walking sideways in a dolly shot that's another <laughs> i love master to that i love your yeah. notes yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it started sure with hey like i'm norm mcdonald <laughs> hey here's the thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you do i would really appreciate it if you do the rest of this episode in a norm mcdonald impression please norm mcdonald is a secret or, uh, twitter friend of mine uh he he's seen a couple things i've done and just out of nowhere he'll hit me with a novel of the, some of the <laughs> nicest stuff that you'd ever want someone like him to write and i'll hit him back and then he vanishes for for three months, we have a very uh, bizarre internet friendship, which is like, that's say, my favorite thing in the world. I, I, he's a hero. I have to say right now, CJ, you have given me my all-time favorite inherent vice, totally off-topic asides ever. Like this <laughs> right here. You know what, you know what, by the way, like, and, and then just telling me that Norm MacDonald sends you these massive solilo soliloquies about your work. This just made my day. You just made my day. <laughs> 
Like I am totally, day. <laughs> I am totally over you hobnobbing with Sandler and PTA uh, and Radiohead and Philip Baker Hall. I, I'm I'm cool now. I'm cool with it now because that, that's an amazing bit of news. Bless your heart for bringing that to me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't. I'm not really online very much. I just kind of like post whatever's happening. I don't really like write daily stuff or, or screen grabs. So uh this is kind of my time to say stuff like that your time to shine man time (laughs) to shine you know speaking of doc walking sideways uh there's a profile shot in in the sequence where basically at the end where the fang family blows him off you know they give him the credit card to give the koi harlingen you know well done welcome back to the main herd safe journeys that's journeys plural and they walk away and and I, i really quick i love that like the banal fastidiousness of the fang that they have to make sure he gets that 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 phrase right that's journeys plural don't say singular say plural <laughs> just get it right there's something about that, that the banality of evil that just seems very right to me but when they walk away doc does this little bit of trademark bit of business we've seen him do it before he did it in the office with the fbi when they braced him after he was visiting penny and that is he does the peace sign that twists into the middle finger and it's another one of those moments that just feels one of those elements of the movie that just feels so right because in, I'm going to get, this is going to shock you and basically nobody else uh, <laughs> with how pretentious I'm going to be, but it seems to capture the tone of inherent vice. The idea of peace and love and happiness that is embodied by those two fingers being corrupted into anger and disgust and rage. And it becomes a middle finger a single gesture that sums up the the soul of inherent vice the idea that everything everything becomes ruined with time everything gets corrupted with time and i know you're you're rolling your eyes i'm sure you are uh i'm not i was thinking i wish you cut the trailer to be honest that's what i was thinking (laughs) (laughs) i was like that would have been a nice little ender it would just be a very uh, i would have i would have really slowed that peace sign the middle finger transition down so it looks like a horror movie and just really dark music over the top but no, I, I, I it's, I, you know, he does that throughout the film. And I actually think that, you know, wow, you could actually, you could make the argument that that, that is the, that is the mood of inherent vice. It is something hopeful and the, it is a, is a hopeful and lovely ideal that eventually sours and gets pulled down so that only one finger remains. And it's a finger that represents, you know, rage and dissatisfaction and unhappiness. And that's, that's, is what is this film about? But that, you know, it's about that as it pertains to love. It's about that as it pertains to, again, the American fate, about time, about the way all things seem to kind of trend towards entropy. And it's all right there in this stoner PI's hand gesture. And it's a it's another one of those reasons why I love this movie so much. Cause you could, as you said, you know, I peeled the onion back 15 times. You can, there's almost no part of this film where you can't do that with where you can't pick at it and go oh my god this is this and it represents that and there's it's just so loaded for bear uh for inquiry and examination and exploration and that's why this really needs to be your favorite pta film it really does join the cult join us it's what's strange is very often looking back things that sort of initially bothered me i end up really enjoying like (laughs) Andy Kindler I made a movie with and I didn't necessarily understand him at first and so then I just kind of kept trying so anyway and then now I wrote a movie for him it's so I'm saying that to say that 
that these things that stick at me, like this will, this has always been on my mind. It's never not been on my mind that I haven't like fully, and this hasn't, we haven't formed a relationship yet. Um, but even just you talking about the peace sign of the middle finger, like I'm watching that. And of course it's there, but what I found with, when I was looking around about all this is that I found a lot of people were sort of saying after the second or third time you've watched it, the fourth time, all the jokes and all the subtleties start to, flood in because you're stop being so suspicious or, or trying to keep <laughs> up with something that may not 100% be there. And so yeah, that's you gotta what let I'm saying off lot. top. Yeah, that's what I'm saying off top. I'm, I'm at that stage where I'm about to come out of the cocoon and blossom when <laughs> I'm recording it as a, as a caterpillar at the moment. So. <laughs> wow, nice turn of phrase. Nice turn of phrase, <laughs> Look at you. Um, Last thing I have to say about this and is as we get darker and darker because, wow, it's funny. I did start off this scene by going, you know, it's so light and airy. It's a cool breeze. It's a nice, it's a nice warm bath for you. A cool breeze for me. It's so pleasant. But uh, that credit card that the family Fang gives Doc to give to Coy Harlingen, which, you know, what this whole handoff is about is Doc doing something heroic and getting Koi out of the thing by giving them their heroin back. And the mom says, you know, well done. Welcome back to the main herd. Safe journeys. That's journeys, plural. And they, in addition to letting, in, a, in addition to letting Koi out of the thing, they're doing something else, which wasn't even part of the deal, which is they're offering him a payout uh, via a credit card uh, to help him get started, you know, land where he's ever going to, wherever he's going to land with Hope, his wife, and his daughter, Amethyst. And while maybe Koi has earned it and deserves it for everything he's had to give up, and it will help the family Harlingen, it also reiterates something that we've seen throughout the film, and that is how the Golden Fang gives out seed money to the good guys. And as such, even the good guys are tainted. You know, there's something I make a big point about in the last several episodes, and that is that you know, earlier in the film, it's made clear that the, the Japonica Fenway case was Doc's very first case as a PI, meaning the very first person to give him money to be a PI was Crocker Fenway, who's as close as we have to a villain and the head of the Golden Thing in this film. So you could make the argument that Doc's entire enterprise of goodness was financed by this the very evil, the very evil organization that is destroying life around him, and there's something kind of haunting to me about, you know, in this moment we're feeling so happy. Koi is going to get out, his family is going to be together, and yet it's going to be on the Golden Fang's dime. They're going to subsidize his freedom, and there's something kind of sickly and and, and horrible about that, and uh, it reminds me of something that Doc says. In this very scene in the book version, uh, when Dinas and he are driving to the handoff and Dinas asks, you know, how can you trust these people? And Doc just kind of shrugs with this, this very dark fatalism that's much more prevalent in the book than it is the film. And Doc says, what, I should only trust good people? Man, good people get bought and sold every day. Might as well trust somebody evil once in a while. It makes no more or less sense. And 
funny as the movie is, funny as the book is, that line always breaks my heart a little bit. Why? What? I should only trust good people. Good people get bought and sold every day, man. And that's a that's a thread that I've really locked into as I've been doing the show and rewatching the movie even more than I normally do, which is you notice that throughout the film, good people just getting bought and sold every every day. And you see it a lot in this movie. You see it a lot in life outside of this movie. You see it a lot in 2020. And yeah, I, 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 I don't mean to go all sad and sour because we started so fun with this scene. But this scene really, it, it, for all its kind of lightness and humor and laughter, there's a real dark river running beneath it with, with all of the ideas that really made the book such an angry book and and with so many of the ideas that make this film such a sad film it's all right here in this little moment yeah wow (laughs) (laughs) are you giggling at that (laughs) no i just like i'm trying it's that moment i'm like what am i gonna add to that oh boy well you could you could start crying if you wanted to break out tears it would make no like i would sound worried about it getting you're worried about it being sad when i said i was a radiohead fan you're fine (laughs) (laughs) that's true we well i mean i get it yeah but yeah, to me, that is, there's something, there's something so just disappointing, I guess, about this scene. Not, not about the scene itself, but about what it represents and about what it says about, you know, good people get bought and sold every day. And we're watching it happen right here in this moment. Um, Doc is taking a deal with the Fang, who's, who's already paid him for his very first gig. And now Coy Harlingen and his family, who are going to be free... They're going to be together, but it's almost like if someone told you you won the lottery. Oh, but by the way, it, and not that he ever would, but oh, and by the way, um, it, it, it's, it's Donald Trump's money. So anyway, go enjoy that. Right. And you, I think you'd be like, oh, well, Jesus, I didn't know it was his money. God damn. Like, right. well, now what you do. Yeah. Now what you do. But then that's, that's kind of, that's what, that's what kind of flows into the scene is that idea of like, well, yeah, you're free, but also know that you're free on the dime of the very organization that is destroying America itself. Uh, right. There's, there's, that's that to me is, is again, that's that's that that's so much what backbones in Vice. That's so much what fills the soul of Vice, whether it's the political side or even the aspects of the film that just deal so much with love. You know, that idea that you know that 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 which nourishes you can also be the thing that destroys you, and you know, or as, or as PTA says, you know, so much of this movie is about, you know, that one ex old lady you can't let go of, even though, you know, you should, uh, it's that, that thing that nourishes you, but at the same time, it destroys you. And what I love about inherent vice and what I love about doing this scene by scene is when you break it down on an incremental level, you see that every, the, I'm going to give him the credit because I, I think he's a genius that the PTA does that he infuses every scene on a granular level with these, these, these grand ideas so that when you stand back, if you're, if you're not a real jerk and totally hate the movie, like certain guests I have, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you stand back, you see these themes, they, they then become writ large over the film because they're, they're being exuded from every single sequence. And I, I just think it's a, it's an absolute miracle. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And that's, I mean, I, I'm, probably getting exhausting at this point because i'm sort of playing with the fact that i don't know that stuff but i I just truly feel that i'm at that level where the last time i watched it i was too preoccupied with with other stuff that that i that i that i feel like the next the next screening of it is 
all that's sort of going to flood in. I think I just came to the project with the wrong mindset. And CJ, am I going to have to do a whole ass other increment vice podcast just to get you to watch it again? So you can come on and like this movie. Am I going to have do to do this? I'll, Cause I'll do it. I'd I'll be happy it. to do the sequel. I'd be happy to do the sequel. Increment vice Two, increment harder coming next year. I'll do it. <laughs> I don't care. I got, oh, right. I mean, we're going to be quarantined, quarantined. God bless yep. this whiskey. We're going to be quarantined <laughs> for a whole ass other year. You know we are. So, you know, I, I got nothing yeah. else to do. So, fine, fine. I will do this I, all over again. I'll do this all over again just to have you come back in a year and go, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. I like it. Okay. It's all right. I'd be, I'd be. <laughs> like the next time I'm we Jay do Leno. This, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, but the next time you come on, you'll be like, yeah, I put this in the middle now. Now it's not on the bottom. Now it's in the middle. Well, yeah, I like definitely. it. I like it. You, I'm, gonna see, I'm gonna get you to the place where you're. You're just gonna be like, oh, I like it. Fine. That's all right. It's good. But I mean, it has a best shot because I, I'm gonna discover several things in it. All the other movies, I've bled dry already. Like I, I've had yeah, Magnolia forever because I get it's. It's like listening to the Beatles a little bit for me. It's like, I kind of, I got it kind of. So I don't necessarily just run back in to put in a Beatles CD necessarily. Uh, you know is you you kind of save it you know uh, the next time i watch magnolia hopefully it'll be in 10 years and it'll be a whole another thing and mean something different but i don't want to keep watching it uh well you know cj as someone who's done 41 goddamn episodes of this podcast and has now spoken about this film oh my god for at least what like 100 hours uh, yeah, I, was say. I can tell you there is a thing or three to be found in this movie if you dig deep if you dig deep enough there's, there's a i'm gonna things. be able to there's watch it one minute at a time yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to two hours and then oh, watch the boy. minute and go back oh, i like buddy. the line which side of the zigzag was uh, figuring out which side of the zigzag was <laughs> sticky. Sticky one. that's brilliant yeah <laughs> i also like your notes i like I just like <laughs> the granular level of your notes I like how they don't look at him when he says, been working for the Golden Fang long. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's just editing notes. Like I'm used to doing editing notes <laughs> yeah. or something. So just like, I like this line. And then that'll yeah. open up for discussion of... Uh, Save this take. Uh, this good take. Good line here. Bigfoot good line kid here. pouring uh, Johnny Walker red. I, I like that bit that he was just like so methodical with how he poured it. It was, you know, I said, I, I do, I was playing with it, you know, a bit. I do, it, I can see definitely how i will enjoy it but uh it, it it took me a minute to uh to be mature and and uh get to the point where we are today well yes I'm willing to admit all of my pta uh uh embarrassments and uh speak <laughs> about the movie i know the least about he's gonna be so mad at you when he hears this he's gonna be so That's upset okay. you're gonna hurt his heart and he's gonna give you that scary ass look that he gives in interviews when someone asks him a stupid question i've seen the look wow. it's terrifying He's so mad during the, the master press conferences. I wanted to ask oh him, but I'm also God. afraid. Those are oh my favorite. My I'd love God. to watch all those things. They're fascinating. <laughs> he was so, or another, another, another increment vice uh, aside here. Boy, he was so fucking angry during that press cycle. He did not like talking about that movie. He did not like those questions. Not yeah. at all. Not at all. I mean, did, yeah. did you see the one in San Francisco where he was just drinking a bottle of, of, uh, of vodka during oh, the yeah, Q&A? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder with all the the static with Scientology and things, you know, there's various conspiracy theories. I wonder how much, you know, maybe I don't know. This is maybe there's just a lot of pressure because he was just 
like you know i've seen i feel like i've seen a ver various stages of of his behavior and that was the most openly frustrated i've seen him uh at, at you know like tiff you know, <laughs> where you were trying to you know not necessarily uh you know you kind of put on your best face because he's your big premier and he was well, like, you thought he was stressed you thought, out you thought he was mad then wait till you see how he uh, reacts to this episode because yeah. you, oh, you know we send him every single one you know he listens that's okay. He's he's busy right now. Quentin did his uh, his big all encompassing movie. So now Paul went back to the seventies. Now he's going to make his his once a his once <laughs> once a Paul a time in Hollywood. Oh God! Oh CJ, we were doing so well, and then with the third pun, Cooper Hoffman, huh? Oh boy, Cooper Hoffman's Cooper Hoffman. star in it. Yeah, does that that does that does that bring that brings yeah that gets me. You're gonna make me cry in my own show. That's How interesting. That? Yeah. See, I could bring, I can save the interview. I can bring it back after I embarrass myself to bring up. Well, that, that, that is also, that is a headline that one can find on cigarettes and red vines that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, uh, Cooper Hoffman, appears to be, uh, I don't know if he's going to be playing a lead, but he's got a role in uh, right. Soggy Bottom or whatever the hell it's going to be called, which is and we, so insanely touching. That, that, that and we have thing. shots of uh, Bradley Cooper dressed like Billy Mitchell, oh if anyone God. knows Billy Mitchell <laughs> from King of Kong. Did you, uh, did you go, did you go, oh God, Billy Mitchell. Did you go to the gas station? Did you I'm going to go, go get the papers, go? get the papers. <laughs> 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 any, oh. any reason for a Goodfellas reference, it's going to Oh, happen. wow. We have so devolved here. Did you go to the it's gas right. station for the filming of uh, that scene that, uh, that made the papers? Uh, the uh, the sequence uh, that was being shot in uh, I think it was uh, is it Van Nuys? Oh no no no! Oh I no, I've been no uh, I I haven't got any details about that actually I think uh, because of COVID I think everything is. Well, I don't you think could go anyone's... and peek. You could drive down and peek at least. Come on, you, you... yeah. Cigarettes and red vines, man. Come on, get that's out a good there. look. I'm doing filmmaking myself and I'm like peering <laughs> through the bushes at another man doing my job. I, I drove down hey, bro. and looked. I drove down and looked. You, know, you can just drive yeah. past on a public street. Now you're making me feel I, creepy because I but you, No, no, but you implied that I should be like peering over the bush. I, I didn't just, like, go up and hope. That. <laughs> I didn't imply that. I'm not saying it would hurt though. I mean, you, you, need, you need content for the site. Why not? That's true. But, I mean, I was, geez, now I feel We've like- We've never I'm, monetized that site. Did you know that? No. We've never had ads or done anything. It was all just uh, the, labor the sweat of, of the brow. Yeah. So labor we bring of that love. savings on to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're oh, almost at 240. Someone told me something about 240. <laughs> I'm going to Kevin Smith this episode. We are not going to two hours and 40 minutes. I've no, done that not. once. I'm not doing it again. We're not doing it, CJ. Don't do this. No, I know. Oh boy. Bless your so heart. So Leslie Jones edited the movie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she sure did. She did. Yeah. yeah how about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. How about that radio head? Huh? How about that radio yeah. head? He had some good songs. Yeah. Johnny like Greenwood is very tall and doesn't blink when he talks to you. So you've spoken to Johnny Greenwood too. Great. That's great. No, so he just like went, no, no. I talked at Johnny Greenwood and he said yes to me twice <laughs> over the wow. course of a five minute conversation. Wow. That's absolutely yeah. terrifying. Absolutely. There's lots of stories of triumph, I said, but I think like, I think these stories are less <laughs> like you. <laughs> Telling just like good stories just sounds, I don't know, it sounds weird. Well, I appreciate but, you offering yourself up on the slab today to humiliate Yeah, it's more fun to tell us, the embarrassing stories. For us PTA and Inherent Vice fans, I do appreciate it. Um, on that note, I got to say, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you for coming on today. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. 
Um, but before I let you go off into the ether to anger Paul Thomas Anderson again. Um, oh, no. Can we stop bringing that up as a theme? <laughs> uh, tell people where you they can, can speak find... things into existence. You understand this. I do understand. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell people where they can find your work. Uh, the worst uh, title ever, 40 FPS, uh, F-O-R-T-Y FPS, which is also a Paul Thomas Anderson reference. Um, when I first started this company and knew nothing about marketing, Paul in his Boogie Nights script, anytime he wanted slow motion, he would write in brackets the number 40, 40 and then FPS. FPS. And I just always thought it looked cool. Um, and it looked nice in this one font that I first typed it out on in, on Photoshop <laughs> 1.0. And uh, it stuck ever since. And I didn't realize that for the rest of life that I would have to say 40 FPS frames per second. It's a nightmare. But um, that's where you can find it. It's, that's Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of things. Um, uh, we have a Jim McMahon documentary coming out uh, um, for any Chicago Bears fans and people that like crazy dudes. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and album covers and stuff. And a little website by the name of Cigarettes and Red Vines. Cigarettesandredvines.blogspot.com. Anyone interested in some PTA news? Also, if you haven't been there, although I have to imagine if anyone's listening to the site, they, or to this podcast, they've been to the site, but if you haven't, uh, it is an incredible, incredible compendium of information on PTA and his films. It's broken down by each individual film the layers upon layers of information that you can find it is an absolute deep dive it'll take days days and days away from you as you get lost in it it's a lot of fun and if you are a fan at all of the man of his work or his films anything that he does you will find something on it for you on that website you and must again, go into the, the the interview section uh, oh yes so we have we copy pasted one day a long long time ago we took every interview and transcribed them to text because websites vanish all the time so there's almost if there's not the interview up there that exists feel free to send them but we pretty much have everything from there will be blood back for for absolute sure but um if you're an up-and-coming film person uh you know there's the stuff with lars von troyer and pta that's like amazing conversation back and forth it's 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 chaos there's just thousands of interviews and they get a little repetitive but there's two or three gems in every single one and like you said there's there's thousands and and they're all they're truly fascinating um especially when he's you know hungry it's like you know he's just he's just busting on the scene and you see the progression if you read them from hard eight onwards you, you you see the progression of of everything it's 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 very interesting to uh and and very beneficial it's and, I, cool. and I, for one, am very, very appreciative to have that, to be able to have that resource because it is incredible. So thank you again for that. And thank you for coming on today. I'm even going to thank you for the puns. I appreciate the <laughs> puns. They, they made me laugh. Thanks, CJ, for coming on. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And please join me next time where myself and a very special guest are going to make sure that Coy Harlingen makes his way home. Well, as things go from bad to worse out there in the real world, and frankly, they're not looking so hot inside the world of inherent vice, you know, golden fang and all, there's still a little hope left, keeping this peace sign of mine from twisting into a single finger. As long as someone like Doc is out there, maybe not a do-gooder, but someone who does good. We need more like him now. Will he get Koi home? Will this have a happy ending? (sighs) Ah. We'll see what we can see next time on Increment Vice.